Welcome to More Than a Budget, a podcast presented by Relational Media. Co-founders Jeff Fine Thomas, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and John Mitchell, a certified financial planner, combine the fields of psychology and personal finance to help couples improve their relationships and discover what is more important than money. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm John. And today, uh, again, we have our special guest, Linda King. Uh, Linda King is an attorney, and she has been practicing for 40 years plus a number. (laughs) And we are excited today to talk about the idea of getting your ducks in a row as you're thinking about doing some estate planning. I think all of us kind of know at some level that estate planning means either Um, having an attorney put some documents together for us um, or, um, and this is never our key recommendation, is is the attempt to do some of this yourself. Um, We've talked about it in our last episode, how complex this world is um, of legal issues. So we wanted to talk a little bit in this episode about what are some of the things that families can do, um, and quite frankly, even individuals, to kind of get themselves in a position where they are ready to start the process. Again, we typically think that the documents are the process, but the process starts long before then by having a clear understanding of what kind of outcomes we either want or don't want. So, Linda, have you ever had anybody show up to do estate planning that wasn't ready? Uh, Almost always. Uh, Some are more ready than others, but... One has to be psychologically ready as well as readiness with one's documents. And so the first preparation begins with thinking about it and pondering it, not just the night before the appointment, but over a little bit of time. Maybe you go to a funeral and you think, ooh, I don't want that at my, you know, so you're thinking about it. Maybe that's what initiates the conversation, the, the thought process. Or maybe you see a friend's um, family devolve into a feud because mama always did like you best, you know, and that shows up in the in the will uh, or the the distribution of assets after a death, and so you think, "Ooh, I want I want to avoid that." Or uh, maybe you're just. Uh, uh, planning your own distribution of assets, but then you realize, I need to back up and decide what's really important to me, not just naming people and who gets what, but how do I transmit my values through what I'm doing? So very few people have come in who are ready on all those counts. They're ready emotionally, financially, and with their documents. We also assume when we have this conversation that we're all going to live to a ripe old age, and that the only things that we're going to be talking about with estate planning is our demise. But the reality is sometimes people become incapacitated. Um, Lots of things can happen to us um, throughout life um, that are unplanned and not, not what we had originally expected. And I want to say that, you know, one of the things that Jeff and I talk about a lot is curiosity, that that is one of the core assets of people who typically do well is they're curious about, well, I wonder what would happen if, or I wonder why I think this way. And I think 
Jeff, you've probably in your practice had people who are dealing with what Linda's talking about, which is the after effects of a family situation resolve, resolving poorly, um, either through an estate distribution or a family breakup um, or a family illness. All of these things can create some stress or even maybe even go as far as to say some trauma. For sure. I mean, you know, whenever there's some kind of a, a situation in which the law needs to be involved, whether it's in this kind or another kind, there's surely stress in the family about it. So I, I see that, you know, regularly. What kind of conversations do you think couples should be having? I mean, we talk about, you know, hey, you know, how are we going to spend our money? You know, how are we going to spend the next 20 years? What do we want to build? What kind of conversations do you think would be helpful for couples to be thinking about when we start talking about what would happen if one of us wasn't here or what would happen if both of us wasn't here? Well, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the idea of having a sense of what our common or shared values are in a, in a couple. And I think that's an important starting place. But I think even that sort of assumes that there's been a series of conversations about what's happened in one's history. So if you're thinking about, you know, setting up uh, the estate planning documents, you're about to head to the attorney to get that to happen. I think a conversation about how you've seen things like that happen or not seen that happen in your history or in your partner's history is really important because obviously families go through death, you know, because we're all, all mortal and it's possible that things have happened in your partner's family or your own that were incredibly uncomfortable or that went well and everything in between those two points. It's important, I think, to have a conversation about what it is that your experience is so that you can begin to understand how yours is different from your partner's. You're each going to have your own set of expectations, probably not even being aware that they're your expectations about how something like this could go. And so if you don't say it out loud, if you don't ask your partner what their experience is, you're going to be sitting at the attorney's office, you know, and, and trying to answer basic questions about your planning and then looking at each other funny, like, oh, um, I thought about this differently than you did. And then you're in a very awkward situation because you don't want to have that conversation when you need to make the decision right in front of the attorney. You want to have those conversations before you go. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, you know, whether we're dealing with a will, and remember a will is instructions to a probate court, and a will has an executor who is the the non-court person typically, the family, friend, or um, uncle, or niece, or whoever it is that's going to, to run the estate business for the family. They have to make a lot of decisions and have to carry through, or we have a trustee in a trust that makes a lot of decisions and follows the instructions. And a lot of times people come into these planning meetings not having processed who it is that they are going to select for these key roles. Um, and there's multiple roles. There's, if you have minor children at home, you might be thinking, who would um, finish raising our kids if we weren't here to do that? And you might be thinking, who would manage family assets? Where would the money come from that would continue raising the kids if we're not here? Um, you know, Linda, I'm imagining that you've had lots of conversations where people weren't really prepared to pick that person. 
Um, or quite frankly, they picked that person and they're 97 years old and it probably is not going to be the person that's around to handle that. Often, John, thank you for bringing that up because often the person who's coming in to do some estate planning is not there alone. They're not there by themselves. And maybe the caretaker or the daughter who lives nearby or the son who's good with numbers, maybe one of them has helped instigate this initial meeting. And so the person whose decision it's going to be feels reluctant to express or specify what they really might want in those circumstances. They feel a little inhibited because of who brought them there or who has been so kind and generous in taking care of them or who has been footing the bills for them to live in the uh, retirement facility or whatever it may be. And so it's a place for absolute candor when you're doing that. But before the candor, there has to be some thought given to it. Uh, And that's uncomfortable because we all are capable of uh, amazing amounts of denial. Uh, (laughs) And I've, I've had it where... Uh, a client and her daughter were there to uh, just do a simple will and a simple and it turned out that when I started asking the some of the questions because there was a brother uh, there was an adult child in the family who was uh, mentally disabled or marginally this was before there was really even a term of being on the spectrum but um, they didn't have the same capacity to manage their affairs as the child who adult child who brought them in. And so even though the adult child who brought them in had been so thoughtful and considerate and kind and probably um, uh, deserved all the gratitude that a mother could show, she needed to make planning for that uh, child who had a different set of needs. And those needs might be unpredictable, but they were predictable. They were going to be out there. And it was hard thinking that had to go on, and it made her feel like she was being so unfair, and she just couldn't deal with it. And she had to get up and leave the office and walk around the office and go get a drink of water and um, go to the bathroom and and then sit down, put her head in her hands and think about it. And we ended up adjourning till another time mm-hmm. because she hadn't done that thinking ahead of time. And I don't. Th- that's not so rare, right? You know, and I think also for for younger families, um, you know, you've got to think through this idea of if we were not able to continue um, our plan of what we wanted to do until retirement because something happened to both of us, what would be this? What would be the story for our children? You know, we've talked about you know who would raise them, but it's not just who would raise them. How would we want them raised? You know, a lot of times people have significant life insurance and. Maybe they've accumulated some retirement assets and they have minor children. Um, you have been thoughtful, hopefully at this point, about what you want to communicate to your children about money, um, how you want a culture in your family and how it sees money. Well, how would you transmit that? How would you carry that on um, with somebody who was taking care of your kids after you were gone? You know, we, we have lots of things lots of documents that can move our stuff, that can move our accounts um, to our kids. But how do we actually move our values? And, you know, obviously, you know, Jeff and I are assuming at this point that you know what those are. But I think a discussion of each one of your children 
you know, at the point that they're at now? And what would you, you know, what would you want for them? What would, what would it take to finance that? Is, are the funds available for that? Um, or is this stuff that you would hope to, you know, be able to do later in life, but you, you haven't set that aside? Um, I think that, you know, what we're talking about, the legal documents and setting up those legal documents, but there's probably another set of communication that's, is, you know, at least as important, which is talking with the people, for instance, if you're wanting to figure out who it is that would be taking care of your kids, if you happen to pass, talking through with those people directly about what your values are, putting it in writing for them to be thinking about, having yeah. going out to dinner with them and having conversations over time about what that looks like, that might be socially awkward. But we're, we are also talking about like handing our children to someone else. And so that's maybe an important thing to uh, yeah. make priority of. I'd like to inject a couple of caveats here, and that is... Some people try to control from uh, what happens after their life, perhaps to an unhealthy extent for whose health. I'm talking about the recipient's health. But they will say, uh, and I've had clients ask, uh, I, would, I want to pay for, I want my grandchildren to go to a Christian college or or to OSU or OU or to a four-year liberal arts school or something like that. And in that case, I, I leave this amount for them. Otherwise, they get a dollar and a quarter. Well, nobody said a dollar and a quarter, but otherwise they get some minimal amount. And so I have done that for people that wanted that done, but on several occasions it generates resentment. If you try to put two many strictures on it so that's one thing to think about now some people also uh, can structure it whether it where those bequests are incremental so this much at this age and this much at age 21 and this much at age 25 that can be done easily through a trust it can be done through a will but it's i've even seen parents who um, for instance would match their children's income hmm. so in other words if they had a significant amount they were passing on, they didn't want to encourage their kids to not work. They didn't want to um, discourage those early years of struggle. And so instead of dumping a large amount of money in their lap that may or may not survive five years, they said, hey, you know what, we're going to dole this out by, you know, whatever you make, we'll match it or match it at some rate. And therefore kind of encouraging work ethic, um, encouraging investment and time and so this gets back to that idea of what is it that we want for them? What do we want them to experience and learn? And how can we bring our assets alongside to um, encourage and reward the types of activities um, and investments that we want our kids doing? Yes, that can be done. Now, I would suggest that that plan um, rewards highly remunerative um jobs so sure. that if you had a grandchild that was going into the peace corps or uh sure. well, you know something like that so you got to know your kids right that's right and you got to know and again it comes back to knowing your values um jeff could you imagine that 
you would be, have a couple that would value different things on how they would. Of course, every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the other caveat. Uh, you've talked about if you have a couple and they're doing such and such, these are individual decisions and the conversation needs to be between the couple and the, and they need to consider how congruent their wishes and values are. But I would argue that this some room needs to be left for recognizing you're an individual and if you want to designate a specific bequest to uh, the society for um, the health and benefit of corgis, Welsh corgis, <laughs> okay, and I don't... And someone else might want to give it to a portion of their estate, something else. So this does not have to be uh, a joint will. In fact, I advise against joint wills. They're, they can be done, but uh, they usually end up being more troublesome than they're worth. I think it, it's an individual thing. Can you think of, you know, we talk about date night a lot and how couples can use, you know, their kind of their quiet time together. Can you think of some of the things that, that would be some good topic starters or questions for some of our couples um, to explore as they're trying to think through some of these issues? I, I would probably want to start with the documents that you would receive from an estate planning attorney because I remember when my wife and I went through, there were just some interesting questions that we had never seen before. And, and they spurred conversations about subjects that we had not considered before. Um, and so I would start there. If you're headed to the estate planning attorney, you know, get the documents that they want you to fill out and, and have conversations about those. You know, again, I, I think that one of the things that we need to start thinking about is that money in our culture has certain taboo properties. We're really talking about passing along assets, Right. And included in that is some financial value of these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And money is commonly thought to be a taboo subject. So one of the things that I think needs to happen over time in your relationship is working out what it looks like to have open, honest, uh, sometimes difficult conversations about what money means, what it means to each person in the couple how they came to that place. You have a meaning. You've drawn some conclusions about money because you had a series of experiences over time and you learned some lessons. Whether you're aware of having learned those lessons or not, you did learn them. So having conversations about, like, how did you get that first allowance? What did you spend it on? Do you save money? What does that look like? Do your parents, how did they take vacations? How did they spend on, on Christmas? What are, what are the kinds of things that they valued with their dollars? Did they sign you up for sports or music? Go through a series of questions like this, just exploring each other's financial history. And then, you know, have some conversations about what you want to make for your own family. How do you want to build it? Oftentimes we do this completely, you know, unconsciously where we'd give it no thought whatsoever, but we're really talking about building something together, right? Mm -hmm. Building a relationship that we both consciously are aware is going to be something that we look forward to, something we're going to pass on to our children because we, we think they're important. So be strategic 
be conscious and aware of it. Figure out what it is that things mean to you and have conversations about how there's differences between you and your partner. You know, one of the things that we uh, talk about a lot is, you know, we would like to be able to pass our values on to our kids, right? Yeah. We want them to develop their own. They don't have to, they don't have to have our exact values, but we want them to learn our process so that when they go off on their own and yeah, form right. a new relationship, that they will know how to say, I've now bonded with this other person. I'm going to start a relationship and we're going to have a discussion about what's important to us and what we want to build, right? That's right. One of the really interesting things about going through this estate planning process is it becomes a testing environment to say whether or not we are currently at a level of passing on this process to our children that we're comfortable with. And here's what I mean by that. It's a simple question on date night, and that is, if we were to, if something were to happen to us today and our children were to inherit our assets through our plan, would the things that they would do with it tomorrow look like we did our job? Most of us know what our kids would do if we handed them $1,000, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if there were a couple extra zeros? Could you envision, could you and your spouse over a burger have an interesting conversation about what would happen if you left six-figure money to each one of your kids. Would that be a fun conversation? It would be a great it conversation. <laughs> and what you'll find in there is, is that each one of you typically knows some different tendencies of each one of your child. And it's a great way to kind of say, well, what would they do with money? What are their values? What, what does money mean to them today? And it gives you kind of a, a marker where you can say, well, here's where our kids are today. Is that where we really want them to be when we pass on and they carry the torch from that point? And if not, what could we do with our resources today, with our values today, to start pulling them in those directions that we think are important? I don't, I don't think you can underestimate the importance of what you've just said. Because I think normally what happens for most families is that the day-to-day -day life of having a family involves a lot of work. It's time consuming to raise children. And often you're just hoping to get to the next thing. Can I pack the lunch? Can I take them to school? Can I pick them up? Can I get through uh, bath time and reading books and bedtime and start the whole thing again? What you're talking about is um, looking towards what it is you're hoping for them to learn specifically about money over the course of their growing up where is it you want the outcome to be how do you how are you thinking you might want them to be thinking about money and obviously you know kids have their own personalities and mm -hmm. they're going to go where they're going to go it's right. not like we have control over this learning it, that every day right but <laughs> it, but it is a thing where we might want to say intentionally hey um, this is where this is where our kids are now. Let's see if we can get to them to this point over there. Yeah, I um, I'm amazed at you know each kid being their own individual story, and we kind of think that when they're 18 or when they're 21 and they go off to college, we're done parenting. I had um, one of my favorite stories with a client. You haven't gotten to tell a lot of war stories. I'm going to tell one short one is we were going through this discussion of trying to have your estate follow your values. And I had a client basically look at me almost a little bit angry 
and say, okay, big shot, here's what I want. I don't want my grandkids getting divorced. That's what my estate plan is. Make it happen. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So um, after some time and some thought and some fear and some trepidation, I asked him and his wife to put together what they thought were the, the, the three to five most important activities during their marriage that they felt built their marriage over 40 years. And they came back with a list. And the list was is that every five years they took a vacation together that was just them, where they kind of renewed their vows and renewed their purpose for the marriage, and they got away from their kids. They had date night, and there was a few other things that they did. And so we decided that the plan was going to be that they were going to do that for their grandkids. They were going to fund date nights, and they were going to fund those trips for the grandkids and their spouses to get away and reconnect as marriages. And they gave them a list of questions to ask, and they gave them little stories to tell about what it was like for them growing up and being a couple together and struggling and what they learned from it. And so they were passing assets early in their estate plan to these grandkids, but they were doing it in order to achieve a lesson and an outcome and a process that they wanted their grandkids to have. And I would argue that what they're really passing is their their experience of growing wisdom. You know, not everyone's wisdom is the same. They had a specific value set that they wanted for their grandkids, and they wanted to pass that wisdom to their kids and grandkids. Their their assets just followed the path of their values. So I would say that being prepared to go into an estate planning discussion is a lot of a real strong sense of what you're building as a couple and what you would like to see, what elements of that you would like to see continue on um, with your heirs. And then working backwards like any other project management to say what is it we need to be doing to be continuing um, that process. Uh, this is a little bit um, a little bit of a, it's not tangential, it's involved in relationships and in planning, but it inadvert- inadvertently or by default happens, and that is one partner in a relationship will be highly competent in one area. And so they end up either claiming or by default it gets shoveled over to them. You're the one that's going to handle the money or the estate planning or all the numbers or all the paperwork or something like mm-hmm. that. And many times it has been that the widow comes in with a shoebox full of stuff and says, I don't know what in the world this is, but this, help me. And I say that uh, as a widow because, uh, because I'm, I reference widow because historically it was the men who handled the money in many marriages and it was the women whose realm was the kitchen or something like that, even though a woman might have the head for figures or might have the interest or may have the time to devote to it. And so this is an area where I think it is not so good to just let the expert or the better of the two um, take that on, at least not without thinking about that ahead of time. Some redundancy would be good. Some overlap would be would be good there. I, I agree. I I think that obviously different people have different capacities and it's not going to be true that both partners in a couple have the same ability to handle something like, um, you know, mm-hmm. balancing the checkbook or or whatever, filling out forms or whatever. But I do think that it's extremely important to create a pathway in your relationship so that there's 
a consistent communication about things like this so that you don't end up with a shoebox full of papers or a file cabinet full of papers that you don't understand. If you're going to build something together and one person has uh, the ability to do a certain kind of labor and the other is less talented at it, there should at least be a, a regular communication about what it means. So even if you have those um, documents in hand, you, you have a general sense of like, I believe this is what this does for me and what it means. And I just need some, you know, brushing up on how to help me with it rather than coming in completely lost with it. Both of you in a couple know things about your family that the other one doesn't know. And it's so common in this field to believe that what we're dealing with is dollars and cents. We're dealing with math. We're dealing with deeds. We're dealing with trusts or wills. We're dealing with that, you know, legal processes but we're dealing with our kids and we're dealing with our parents and we're dealing with our families. We're dealing with legacy. And one of you may be better at the document side and one of you may be better at understanding your, your errors and, and what the struggles are going to be. And you can't do well at this unless both views, unless both understandings are brought to bear. Um, so the information that each person in the couple has is vital um, to be successful, and it has to be implemented in order to be successful in, in going through this process. So um, let's wrap up. I think this idea is, yeah, you, you need to have some quality discussions. Um, the thing I'm hearing the most under the surface is you don't need to be in a hurry. I mean, yeah, you need these documents. Yes, you need to get a plan. But the quality of the plan is going to be based on how good and complete and thorough those discussions are going to be over time. And let's not forget, and I know, Linda, you know this, is estate plan is not a one and done. It's an ongoing thing. So theoretically, your plan should get better as you go. It should become more complete. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. I agree all along the way. And the quality of that communication before you ever start filling out those documents is what's essential, and that has to be built on the trust between the communicants, you know, between the husband and wife, the partners, whoever it may be. Um, there has to be candor and freedom to be. Uh, otherwise, all the documents in the world will not affect your wish, uh, carry out your wishes. So you have to be have the, the safe space to be able to say, I really want to do X, Y, or Z. It's important to me, and so... Um, and it may not be five years from now, but it is now, and I want to recognize that as we're doing this initial plan. And so uh, they don't have to meld into one one person, one glom. You can each have your own individual um, feelings about, about it, Absolutely. and those can be reflected in what you do. Well, thank you so much, Linda. This has My been pleasure. a lot of help. Um, feel free to email us um, any questions that you have. Um, but... Uh, Get into the process. Um, we're all lifelong students, um, and we, this is an area that we all need to learn a little bit about. Good job, everyone. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a like, comment, or review. And tell your friends. New episodes drop weekly. Learn more about Jeff and John at relational-media.com.